Welcome to the Grace Long Beach podcast, a series of sermons from our weekly Sunday gathering. For more information on our church community, values, and service times, please visit www.gracelb.org. Thanks for listening. Today's reading is Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. Since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, This is the reason that I don't stop giving thanks to God for you when I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, will give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation that makes God known to you. I pray that the eyes of your heart will have enough light to see what is the hope of God's call what is the richness of God's glorious inheritance among believers, and what is the overwhelming greatness of God's power that is working among us believers. This power is conferred by the energy of God's powerful strength. God's power was at work in Christ when God raised him from the dead and set him at God's right side in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority and power, and angelic power, and any power that might be named not only now, but in the future. God put everything under Christ's feet and made him head of everything in the church, which is his body. His body, the church, is the fullness of Christ, who fills everything in every way. This is the word of the Lord. Kids, you are dismissed to King's Quest as the rest of us are seated. My name's Daniel Long. Good to be with you this morning. Um, I was reminded this week, uh, so one of the jobs that I have, um, actually as an elder, not necessarily as a pastor, is people come and they want to become members, and part of that process is to meet with an elder to talk about uh, their story, how they came to know Jesus. And I met with two people this week, and it was the highlight of my week. And don't worry, if you're here, I'm not going to talk about your story. But um, I'm going to talk about how encouraged I was by it. Because one of the questions that that I asked was, just, can you tell me a little bit about your journey with Jesus? And in their telling of that story, in their story, it, it was so amazing to me to hear all the different ways in which God is at work in people's lives. And when I come up here and I look at and all of you, I can't help but think, like, we each have that, right? We each have that story that, of how we've journeyed with God, or even more importantly, how God has journeyed with us. And I, I guess an encouragement to each of you is today, at some point, um, if you get bored in the sermon, I guess you can use this as an opportunity to do it, or even afterward, but to ask somebody... Can you tell me a little bit about your journey with Jesus? And I wonder if you might be encouraged in the way that I was, or certainly encouraged, or the people who are able to tell it are encouraged because they are reminded of how God is at work. Because God is at work among us, in us, through us, and it's such an amazing thing to be able to be a part of it. So I'm grateful. I'd like to pray, and we'll get into God's word. Lord Jesus, thank you for being present in our lives. Thank you for journeying with us. Thank you for calling us to journey with you. 
Thank you for those moments in our lives that we can look to and say, yes, you were there. God, give us comfort knowing that even in those moments when it doesn't feel like you are, you are with us. You are present. For those who are here this morning and barely made it, God, I pray that you would speak a word of of healing, of comfort, and of encouragement. God, for those who do not know you, I pray that you would speak to them, to call them to relationship with you. God, for those of us who are in a season where it seems like things are going well, I pray that you would help us to be grateful to you and to give thanks to you. God, thank you for our lives. Thank you for our life together as a church. Thank you for calling us to one another under you to bear witness to what you're doing in the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you want, you can turn your Bibles, the blue ones. Um, this, I only know the page number for the blue ones. Page 976. We're going to talk about Ephesians. So we started a, a series a couple weeks back uh, in, this, in the book of Ephesians, which is a letter written to probably a lot of different churches in this region of Ephesus. Uh, and it's Paul's way of, of, of basically saying, here's what's going on in the church. Whether you know it or not, whether it looks like it or not, here's what's true of the people of God in the church that God has called to himself. It's like a, like a director's commentary or like a peeking behind the curtain. Here's what's true of us now. Here's what's true of churches that have been meeting for centuries I mean, this is what God is up to in the church. This is what Paul is wanting to remind people of. And I said that the book of Ephesians is broken up into two parts. Um, the first, chapters 1 through 3, is really talking about God's activity in the church. What has God done? Chapters 4 through 6, really talking about, okay, so how might God's people live in response to what God has done? And we are in chapter 1, and we're actually in the latter part of chapter 1. And in the first few verses, verses 3 through 14, Paul, in this one long sentence, can't help but talk about what God has done in Jesus Christ. I got an email from a friend, and she said that, you know, she's been, I encouraged us to read Ephesians over and over and over again, if you can, all the way through, um, each time, because it's a letter. You don't just read a paragraph of a letter and put it away and come back later. You know, you read the whole letter. And she said this, she emailed me, she said, I've always had such a difficult time getting a handle on this book and actually enjoying a study of it. I think I finally figured out why. In the first three chapters, and most especially the first, it feels like Paul is shooting us with a fire hose. It's like each sentence, each phrase is a wonder to be savored. But then he piles on another. And I can't take in so much wonder all at once. I love that. I can't take in so much wonder all at once. And that's how it feels, right? When you read this, you're like, oh my goodness, Paul, take a breath. Relax a moment so I can get a handle on what's going on. But he keeps on going. He keeps piling it on. And he moves from verses 3 through 14, this massive praise, into the next part of this chapter, which is a prayer. So he moves from praise to prayer. Look down in your Bibles, verse 15. For this reason, because of what God has done, and all the things that Paul has rehearsed, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So Paul is going to move from praise to prayer. And I just want to take a moment to consider those two postures. 
Because the way that Paul at least lays out, these are two essential ways of being with God. Praising God for what he's done. And then praying. Living life with God in a posture of prayer. That certainly life with God and part of what it means to be a part of the church and things that we do is we praise and we pray. So my question to you is, what is your prayer life like? When you pray, what do you pray? About what do you pray? Who do you pray for? What's the contour of your prayers? What kind of gets you going in in terms of a life with prayer? Or do you not pray at all? Is it something that you feel like you're constantly guilty about? I should be praying more, but I'm not. I feel that way all the time. So what is your prayer life like? So if Paul is giving us this sense of we first need to be praising God for what he's done, and then we need to be praying to God about what he's done and for others, Paul is going to show us some ways how we might pray. And now he's not going to lay out a way of praying for people when they're going through hardship necessarily. This is more of a 30,000 foot prayer. Things we should be praying for the church, for one another all the time. One of my favorite quotes about prayer and the life of prayer comes from Dallas Willard. And he says this. I believe the most adequate description of prayer is simply talking to God about what we are doing together. Prayer is a matter of explicitly sharing with God my concerns about what he too is concerned about in my life. And of course, he is concerned about my concerns, and in particular, that my concerns should coincide with his. This is our walk together. Out of it, I pray. Prayer is talking to God about what we are doing together. And in our life of prayer, all of a sudden, our imaginations begin to be formed. We begin to care about the things that God cares about. We begin to look at the world differently. And so how might this prayer of Paul be a way for us to consider the ways we might be thinking about praying for ourselves, for one another? Irrespective of of specific circumstances or difficulty, but just on an ongoing, regular basis. So what is the shape of Paul's prayer? Well, let's look at the text. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you. Remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. So first off, this is about revelation, wisdom that can only come from God in the knowledge of who he is and what he's doing in Jesus. This is all about knowing Christ. And we need God's help to know him. We need God to know Jesus. And so everything we do, why we are a part of this thing together, isn't so that we can hear a great sermon, isn't so that we can have incredible worship, isn't so primary that we can be a part of programs and groups, but it's about knowing Jesus. So Paul prays that they would have spiritual revelation, understanding, wisdom in knowing Jesus. And here's what it means to know Jesus. Verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power. So three things. Here are three things that Paul wants to make sure we understand in knowledge of Jesus. This is what he prays for. Hope, inheritance, power. 
that we would recognize the hope that we have in Jesus, the glorious riches that we have acquired in Jesus, and then the power that is displayed in Jesus. Hope, inheritance, and power. And I simply want to talk just a little bit about each of these and move through the text and why these might take up the majority of our prayers and how we might pray for one another. So hope. Why does hope matter? Well, hope is what we have to offer the world. Hope is the thing that we have that the world without Jesus does not. A hope that is found in the person of Jesus, God's coming to us in Christ to be in relationship with us so that we can be in relationship with him and that one day he will make all things new. Hope in the future that God has brought into the present. Now, if you consider the world, if you consider the news, if you consider all the different stories that you might hear outside of the story of Jesus, there is not a lot of hope present. Hope is something that we are constantly grasping for. And we all put our hope in something or someone. We all put our hope in a system of government that it would work and work well. And when it doesn't, we are angry. We all put our hope in, in, a, in a family that, that is supposed to give us happiness, in a marriage that is supposed to give us the thing we've been looking for, in our children who are supposed to grow up the way that we work so hard to make sure they grow up in that way. And then they don't, and then we're mad, and we're frustrated, and, or hope in a friendship that is supposed to make you feel like you belong and to give you everything you've been wanting. Hope in that job. Hope in that thing that you've been waiting for. Hope, hope. Hope, we put hope in something. And Paul says, I, growing in the knowledge of Jesus is to recognize that hope is only possible in Jesus Christ. Outside of Jesus, hope is weak and has no foundation on which to stand. But in Jesus, you have all the hope you need. Praying for hope. This is one way we can pray for, for ourselves, pray for one another. Now, I can't help but talk about hope and think of some of you in this room right now or not, but our brothers and sisters who in this season of life, they don't have a lot of hope. They constantly get phone calls of either sickness and illness or death in their family. I know of one family who, who's losing a wife, a mother to cancer. I know of one family whose brother was suddenly, suddenly died Hope seems like this thing that isn't there. And we, their brothers and sisters, need to be praying that they would continue to have hope. Often we pray when we are encountering people in brokenness that they might see the things that God has for them, the lessons perhaps that they need to learn, or that they would be happy again. No, they don't need answers. They don't need happiness. What they need is the hope that is only found in Jesus. This isn't optimism either. We're not talking about people being optimistic. A theologian, Miroslav Volf, says this, Optimism is based on the possibilities of things as they have come to be. Hope is based on the possibilities of God, irrespective of how things are. 
Hope can spring up even in the valley of the shadow of death. Indeed, it is there that it becomes truly manifest. Hope thrives even in situations in which cause and effect thinking could elicit only utter hopelessness. Why? Because hope is based on God's coming into the darkness to dispel it with divine light. See, hope is not optimism. Optimism says, well, it's, been, it's, it's worked out this way and it's been good so far, so it should be good again. But what happens when you get into a position when that, there doesn't seem to be any future? When there doesn't seem to be anything but death? When there doesn't seem to be anything but Jesus Christ dying on the cross, being in the tomb, and you're in Saturday, and it's silent, and it's dark, and there's no promise of Sunday. But we, on the side of resurrection, have hope because we believe in a God who made Sunday possible. And we bear witness to the reality that there is a Sunday, that there is resurrection life. And that God might give us the opportunity and the ability to bear witness to that hope. Hope. That we might have hope in Jesus. He also prays that we would understand, come to know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now in, in the first few verses, we talked about what that looks like. Adoption, being blessed, being lavished upon with his grace, being destined with the future. I mean, there's riches of his glorious inheritance that we do have one day the opportunity to be with God. And Paul is praying that the people, that this church would recognize and understand the glorious riches of that inheritance. And this has made me think, what makes me think that I have a handle on grace? That I actually understand grace? Because Paul seems to suggest that there is so much more to this grace that we could ever know, but that we need the God of this grace to make it known to us, to help us recognize the riches of its glorious inheritance, that we would come to know it. Now, I don't know if you have kids, but one, I do have three of them, and one of the things I say to them, and usually, and I talk a lot about my kids, but it's honestly like the one way, oh, a way that God just makes it himself real to me. But I say something to my kids all the time, and it's usually in a moment of less than grace. Um, but it, one thing I say is you'll never know how much I love you. Like you'll actually never understand it. You can't possibly understand it. Perhaps maybe one day when they have their own children, they might get a grasp of it. But not in the way that I love them. And I think of this in terms of God's glorious grace this inheritance of grace, that it's so easy for me to think that I have a handle on it and that I understand it and that I know how far-reaching it is or I know the boundaries of it or I know when somebody's inside or outside of it. But God is saying you actually need to come to understand it, to learn grace. As you live in the way of grace, it becomes more and more known to you. And it's been really convicting to consider, especially this week, as studying this text. Like, I need to be asking that God would help me understand afresh the richness of his inheritance, of the grace that he so lavishly bestowed upon me.
And I wonder what, that might, what might happen for us as a church if we were a people who were so committed to praying for hope, for this place, for one another, for ourselves, and that we would grasp the grace that God has for us. What might God do? How might God use us in the world in a way that, that is remarkable and wonderful and beautiful? The next thing he prays, and this is where Paul really just goes off. God's power. He doesn't just, he prays about hope, he prays about inheritance, but then he, he wants to pray about this power that we have, that we would come to know it, that understand it. What is the immeasurable, verse 19, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? And then he's going to go on and flesh out what this power looks like and why, why it matters. So here's the shape of this power that Paul is talking about. It's a power that raised Christ from the dead. Now the power at work in this community is a power that has raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, the, the, okay, just take a moment. Think about that for a second. The power that was on work on that Sunday when Jesus was raised is the same power through the Spirit that is at work in us. That resurrection life power is the power that is making this possible. Is the power that is making new life possible. Underneath us, around us, above us, is the current of God's power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That is the power out of which we are living as God's people together. If that doesn't blow your mind, I can't help you. Because that's a remarkable thing. That is the power out of which we are called to live. But consider this for a moment. Consider the type of power at work. It is God's power. And it is a power that is first displayed in the cross. It is a power that goes to absorb the death and the violence that the world has to offer in order that God's power might be displayed in that weakness and in that death. This isn't a power that's coercive. This isn't a power that's violent. This isn't a power that goes and makes things happen. This is a power that lays down its life in order that that life might be raised again. That is the power at work and displayed in us in the church. Eugene Peterson says this, So why the church? The short answer is because the Holy Spirit formed it to be a colony of heaven in the country of death. Church is the core element in the strategy of the Holy Spirit for providing human witness and physical presence to the Jesus-inaugurated kingdom of God in this world. It is not that kingdom complete, but it is a witness to that kingdom. Church is an appointed gathering of named people in particular places who practice a life of resurrection in a world in which death gets the biggest headlines. The practice of resurrection is an intentional, deliberate decision to believe and participate in resurrection life, life out of death, life that trumps death, life that is the last word, Jesus' life. So what is this power at work in the church is to help us to be a colony of heaven in the country of death. 
a colony of heaven in the country of death. We are a colony of heaven. So when we are at work doing the hard work through the power of the Spirit to forgive, you are living out of the resurrection power. When you are opening up your life to other people, when you are opening up your lives to those orphans who need a home, you are operating out of the power of the resurrection. When you think that your marriage, that your relationship has no future, and yet you choose to hope that there is a future possibly ahead of you, you are living out of the power of the resurrection. When you go sit with somebody who is dying or who has lost somebody and you are simply present with them to be God's presence to them, you are operating out of the power of the resurrection. When you choose to say a kind word instead of a critical or bitter word, you are operating out of the power of the resurrection. These things, nothing less than resurrection power is taking place. Nothing less then God's ability to raise Jesus Christ from the dead is making all of that possible. When you think you have to hide and you need to self-protect and yet you are opening yourself up to others to experience the life of God, that is resurrection power. That is what is animating the life of the church. That is what's going on, whether you know it or not. And that is what Paul is wanting us to recognize. The power of God displayed in the resurrected Jesus is what is keeping this thing going. And that is what we are called to bear witness to. What an incredible thing to participate in. So the next time you think God is calling you towards something and you say, no way, that's not possible, I don't have it in me. You're right, you don't. But through the power of the Spirit at work in your life, resurrection life is possible. Choose resurrection life. It's available to us, God's church. But then he continues. It's not just the resurrection of Jesus where God's power is displayed. It's also seating him. This is verse 20. At his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So the power that God has displayed in Jesus Christ isn't just to raise him from the dead, but to seat him above every single authority. What does this mean? It means that resurrection power, it means that hope, it means that our, the grace that we experience isn't found in, in, the, in the things that we think are powerful, in the people that we give power to, or in the things that we think will save us, or in the presidents that we like or don't like and we think all of our hope is in that person. That is not true. That is not Christian. Jesus Christ is above all rule and authority. This world belongs to God. That is what God has made possible in the person of Jesus Christ. So what does that mean? It means that we, as God's people, have the opportunity to bear witness to God being over all. We, as God's people, have the opportunity to live into the future when all things will be reconciled to God, when all things will be made new. We have a role to play in Long Beach right now to point to that future, to that reality that Christ is over all. And it begins with me, and it begins with you, that the King Jesus, the Lord over all, wants to be in relationship with you. That every day, every moment is an opportunity to say, this is your life, not mine. May my life be 
a witness to the reality that Jesus is Lord, that Daniel isn't Lord, but that Jesus is Lord. It begins with us. Imagine if there were a group of people who committed every day, every moment to saying, Jesus is Lord, not I. And we come together. What might God do? What might be possible? And then finally, he places him as head over the church. He says this far above, 21 again, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. Jesus Christ is overall rule, power, and dominion. And how is that displayed? Christ's rule over us, the church. That we become a colony of heaven, a small colony of heaven in the country of death. And though it might seem small, all of these little things that we do, and though the world may not know, when we give meals to people who are hurting and broken, when we bring in those people who have no home into ours, or when we forgive, I mean, the world may not see all of those things, but we are participating in nothing less than the story of God, displayed in the person of Jesus. We are telling the world, this is actually how it is. This is what's true. Jesus Christ is overall. And as we operate, recognizing that Christ is the head of the church, not the pastor, not the elders, but Christ is the head of the church, then we begin to put on display before the world the good news that Jesus is king. And this is a king who wants to know us, to know me, to know you. This is a king who brings us into relationship with him. This is a king who is over and over and over in small ways and in big ways making things new and reconciling things. And I don't know if you know this king. I don't know where you are in your journey with Jesus. But you can know him. You can be in relationship with him. And he wants to be in relationship with you. It begins with us. As the more and more that we bring ourselves under the rule and reign of Jesus. That we recognize that Christ is the head over the church. Then all of a sudden, new life begins to emerge. And begins to grow. And that ground, the world that seems so parched and dry where nothing again could good nothing good again could grow new life begins to sprout up there begins to be an opportunity for the world to see that Jesus is lord that he is making things new we're going to have a moment right now to be for you if you'd like to be prayed with and I'd like to encourage those of you who are going to be praying, if you can move to the side walls. And I'd like you to consider thinking about hope, inheritance, and power. Where does God, where do you feel like you need God to speak to you? Do you need hope? Do you need afresh to recognize his grace? Or do you need to recognize resurrection power is available to you and where only death seems like the next step 
Perhaps something else is available. And if you feel like you want to be prayed with, people want to pray with you. So over the next few songs, I encourage you to move in that direction and to be prayed with, because that can be a source of God's tangible love placed on your life. So I'd like to pray for that time, and then we will move into that time of prayer. Lord God, Lord Jesus, this world does belong to you. I pray, I ask that we might be aware of the hope that you've called us to, the riches of your glorious inheritance that is made available to us because of Jesus, and that we would recognize and understand your power. And God, I pray that you might nudge and move people who need to experience that prayer, need to experience that life afresh, God, that you would work in their life this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.